the bunker. I'm Roz Taylor. She's been called a post-fascist by The Economist. Three months into her premiership, what do we know about the Italian PM, Giorgia Maloney? Che diceva, tu cominci a fare quello che è necessario, poi quello che è possibile, e alla fine ti scoprirai a fare l'impossibile. È quello che abbiamo fatto noi. Grazie a tutti. Buona serata, a domani. That was Giorgia Maloney addressing fans just before she was elected Prime Minister of Italy. Who is the Italian PM and does she still pose a danger to the European Union? With me to talk about her is John Hooper, a Rome-based journalist and economist correspondent who's the author of The Italians. Welcome to the bunker, John. Thank you for having me, Rose. When Maloney was first elected, there was a lot of discussion about whether she was a fascist, if she represented a new kind of fascism, and if so, what that might mean. What is her political background? Giorgia Meloni's political roots are in the post-war neo-fascist movement in Italy, the Movimento Sociale Italiano. Uh, and that was a, they considered themselves to be the heirs of what they considered the good part of the uh, fascist party under Italy's late dictator Benito Mussolini. Now, over the years, um, they have first of all become uh, involved in a an outfit called the National Alliance, which then uh, was in coalition uh, in the very first of Silvio Berlusconi's governments. And Giorgia Meloni herself served in a subsequent government before she founded the party that she now leads, the Brothers of Italy, uh, which takes its name from the national anthem, um, which found that the national alliance was just drifting in an area that it did not like. Um, it was altogether too moderate for the Brothers of Italy and for the sister who is leading them now. She then becomes, frankly, a bit of an enigma, because on the one hand, she talks about having become a conservative, but with a sort of Latin tinge. But on the other hand, every so often, while she was still in opposition, she would make these rabble-rousing speeches. And the question, I think, throughout the uh, election being posed particularly by foreign observers was, will the real Giorgio Meloni stand up? Is she still somebody who hankers after neo-fascism? She now denies that absolutely. Um, but it has, what kind of a conservative in that case has she become? And I think that that is still an un, unresolved question. What were the good parts of fascism as she saw them, of Mussolini-era fascism, that she wanted to preserve? Well, she's never been explicit about this. Um, but judging by those who belong to her group or her circle and their views, they actually reflect a, a, a view which is quite widespread in Italy, particularly on the right, which is that um, Mussolini's only mistake was to get tied up with Hitler and to end up uh, implementing the anti-Semitic policies that led to the Holocaust. Um, 
This actually runs in the face of quite a lot of evidence, which has been produced by uh, historians, to the effect that fascism uh, wasn't really a very successful way of governing the country. Uh, Italy, yes, progressed under Mussolini, but so did lots of other European countries of the time. So um, it's seen as a, a retrograde step by them, but still a lot of Italians do um, say, well, he wasn't such a bad chap. He certainly wasn't as bad as Hitler. He wasn't as bad as Stalin. Um, and we can be proud of some of the things that he achieved by way of building infrastructure, by the by way of, for example, draining marshes so that they were no longer malarial and so on. Um, but uh, that and and that 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 view um persists um and i think that probably um georgia maloney would go along with that that said i think that she is a realist and that she realizes that uh, times have moved on and that um it, it whether you what you think about mussolini I, I think she would argue is no longer relevant to today's politics you describe her as an enigma, and enigmas don't usually get elected to high office. Is it her sheer force of personality that's won over the Italian electorate, or is there something else going on? I think there are quite a few things going on. Um, one of them is uh, that the uh, voters on the right of the political spectrum in Italy have tried everything else. It started with Berlusconi. Uh, then there was his fall at the time of the global financial crisis uh, and the euro crisis that followed. Then came uh, the Northern League, which uh, its leader, Matteo Salvini, now likes to call the League, so that it has national rather than regional appeal. He got into government um, and then tried to bring his own government down, much to the dismay of his followers. And the following of the League since then has dropped off steadily and abruptly. And um, there was only one party left, which was the Brothers of Italy. So I think a lot of people thought, well, we've tried both the others, let's give this one a try. So that was an important factor in the rise of Giorgio Meloni's party. I think the fact that she has the novelty of being a woman, and she's the first Italian woman prime minister, that has helped. And then there's something else which is more difficult to explain which is that she has always said, and people have largely believed, that she that her great virtue is consistency. But that doesn't really stand up to examination. She's flip-flopped on lots of things, notably her overall outlook, um, uh, only a matter of months before the Italian general election last September, she gave one of these rabble-rousing speeches to an audience in Spain. So uh, far from, and on other things too, she's changed tack even since coming into office. So she was saying that she was going to push back the immigrants uh, who were trying to get into Italy over the Mediterranean. But when the first test case arrived, 
Um, she was forced into a U-turn by opposition from Italy's EU partners and from the Commission. There are other cases of where she has already uh, changed. So she really is anything but consistent, but she's managed to persuade people that she is somebody who sticks to her principles. And I think her personality comes across as being, or she comes across as being a woman who um, doesn't use the usual tricks of the politician. In that sense, she's rather like, um, there have been many ways very dissimilar to Boris Johnson. She does come across as a human being. And I think that that is one of the secrets of breaking through to electorates at the moment. And does that come across in her speeches? Yes, she talks to people as if uh, everything that she says is utterly reasonable and that they will see that it's reasonable. Um, she is an impressive performer and she's also a very uh, adept politician. Uh, she knows when to back off issues. Um, she can see the lie of the land very quickly. Uh, and she has enormous experience despite her relatively young age, because she's really been nothing else but a politician since the age of 16, when she joined the youth movement of the old MSI. She's used the language and the tropes of culture wars pretty shamelessly. How does that go down in Italy? Italy is a country that is by no means as politically correct as uh, others in Western Europe. So there are a lot of things that you can say um, that um, Silvio Berlusconi in his time and Matteo Salvini have said that you probably couldn't get away with in France or Britain or Germany. So she comes across as being less radical to Italian voters than she does to foreign observers. That said, um, she has toned down a lot of that language since um, she came into office. Uh, in fact, she had begun to tone it down even before that. It's been a gradual process as she's tried to make herself and her party more acceptable to European conservatives. So, for example, at one stage, she was fully endorsing uh, the idea of uh, what is called ethnic replacement theory, the idea that immigration is part of a plot to bring in low-cost workers, um, a plot organised by shadowy international capitalist players. Uh, and she's actually hinted quite broadly that she sees the key player as being George Soros. But we've not heard anything from her about that kind of thing for a few years now. And um, she does seem to be adjusting her position so that she uh, appears to be a loyal partner of uh, America and of uh, the other NATO powers over Ukraine, and that uh, she will uh, stick to the kind of fiscal prudence that is expected of her by Brussels. What has she actually done so far? Has she launched any major reforms in Italy? 
so far, she's not had much time to do so. And I think that um, a strategy is, though, emerging. The main achievement so far was to get through in, by Italian standards, very uh, short period of time, the 2023 budget. And that includes a mixture of measures designed in some cases to satisfy the harder core of her constituency, other measures of much broader appeal. She has uh, tried to mitigate as much as possible the effects of the energy crisis, and that is of uh, reassurance to the electorate as, as a whole. But at the same time, she's introduced a number of measures designed to implement what the Brothers of Italy in their electoral manifesto put as the number one issue, which is to increase the Italian birth rate. Italy, in common with other countries in Southern Europe, has a very, very low birth rate. And the dream of many on the radical right, including brothers of Italy, is that if they can get the birth rate back up, then the country will not have this objective need of immigrants in order to sustain its welfare state. Apart from that, um, there have been really relatively minor reforms introduced. Um, one of them, for example, a clamp down on rave parties with draconian sentences for the people who organise them. Um, that was quite clearly intended to keep her own more hardcore voters happy. But at the same time, there have been moves to um, reform the system under which um, organized criminals and terrorists are imprisoned, uh, a system that has been criticized from outside for being uh, just too harsh and amounting to a kind of torture. There are uh, various moves that have been made, but still there's no one big flagship reform that you could point to as having been a victory in the first hundred days of her uh, term of office. The big challenge that she faces now is constituted by the fact that Italy is the main beneficiary of the EU's post-pandemic recovery fund. It is laying claim to 200 billion euros worth of grants and soft loans. And the fear is that Italy will not be able to spend that money effectively or spend it at all. And that's the big challenge that she faces, to make sure that that money does actually have an impact on Italy's economic growth uh, in the future. And so what kind of domestic issues are preoccupying Italians at the moment? I imagine the energy crisis, but what else is going on? I think that the cost of living does really swamp almost everything at the moment. Um, the League, who are in coalition with uh, the Brothers of Italy and government, along with Silvio Berlusconi's um, Forza Italia party, the League wants to push the issue of regional autonomy. 
turning back somewhat towards its roots as the Northern League. And this is causing a lot of controversy uh, because a lot of Italians feel that it could create a kind of two or three speed uh, Italy. That uh, is being discussed a lot, whether or not, though, it remains an issue on the agenda um, remains to be seen, because uh, what we have seen uh, in the last uh, few days uh, is the results of regional elections, including in Lombardy, the one of the main heartlands of the League. There is a theory that the reason why the League was pushing this issue was in order to get a decent vote in those elections, not to be swamped by um, the Brothers of Italy. And that's effectively what's happened. Uh, they didn't do that terribly well, but they didn't do that terribly badly. And whether they now push quite so actively for the autonomy of regions like Lombardy up in the north uh, remains to be seen. I think it all comes down to whether the government, uh, the Maloney government, can uh, manage the economy successfully. Italy still has huge debts of not far short of 150% of its uh, annual um, GDP, gross domestic product. And there is a risk that any kind of uh, jitteriness in the markets, possibly as a result of the increase in interest rates that is being pursued by the European Central Bank, could spark crisis of confidence, a renewed euro crisis that would target Italy. And that's really beyond the scope of the government to control. But what it can do is to remain fiscally prudent. That's not always a very easy policy to sell to an electorate, that we're not going to spend very much money because we really can't afford to do so. No, and it's not the general selling point of populist parties like Maloney's. Uh, this is this is particularly interesting, I think, because the general trajectory when a populist party gets elected in Europe has been then to move to the right. And yet what you're describing here is something quite different. Without wanting to be too Machiavellian, is Maloney maybe playing a long game, presenting herself as unthreatening to the European order, to Brussels, but actually ready to turn further to the right when the time is right, if the time is right? I think that she's playing a medium-term game uh, in the sense that nobody wants to upset an apple cart in which there are 200 billion euros. So... The fiscal prudence will win her friends in Brussels, and friends in Brussels should ensure that all of that money comes through to Italy. What happens after all of that money has been secured, I think, is the big question mark that hangs over this government. The other one is, what happens if there really is a crisis? Would Giorgio Meloni fall back on the kind of Eurosceptic rhetoric that marked her in opposition. It would be a way of explaining things to the electorate. So I think that those are unresolved. And I think that Italy's European partners remain reassured only up to a point 
by what has been happening since she took power. Um, it's noticeable that in recent weeks, uh, France and Germany have been working together on a number of issues without including Italy in the same way that they that the country was incorporated when Mario Draghi, a former president of the European Central Bank, was the prime minister. Giorgio Meloni is being left out in the cold. Symbolically, um, for example, when uh, Olaf Scholz and Emmanuel Macron met the Ukrainian president, Zelensky. She's being pushed into a second class in the EU while people uh, see whether she really has become that conservative that she claims to be. I think that a lot of people have yet to be convinced that that is her long-term aim and that she's left behind that other persona for good. Good news, your favourite history nerds are back. Yes, we at We Are History have been trawling the history shelves of our local bookshops. Well, I have, John. You mostly went round finding your books and moving them to the front of the displays. If I can find them, it's a bonus. We are ready to tell you all about what we've learned, from the revolting French to some revolting women. Via some Brits abroad and a foul-mouthed Irishman. So, download We Are History. Our laughable attempt at a silly history podcast. With me, John O'Farrell. And me, Angela Barnes. Wherever you get your podcasts. Most PMs in Italy don't last that long, infamously. How long do you give her premiership? Do you think she will have the chance to change, remake Italy, even in her own image? The answer to that should, on any logical um, reckoning, be yes, because uh, she and her coalition partners have an absolute majority in parliament, and they should be able to remain in power until the next general election. But often it's the tensions within coalitions that prove more important than other factors, including, for example, the state of the opposition. Now, that's another factor that is playing uh, in Giorgio Meloni's uh, favour, because she uh, has a, a very divided opposition on the left. The problem is whether, I think, Matteo Salvini, leader of the League, and Silvio Berlusconi, still in his, 90, his 80s, the leader of Forza Italia, are prepared to go along with her. So far... Uh, so good. They've grumbled about this, they've criticised that, but there's been no sign that they really would like to pull the plug on her. Um, power, too, can be a very powerful glue. But in the longer term, if their parties continue to be robbed of support by the Brothers of Italy, that's the point, I think, at which they may feel we're going to be crushed out of existence if we don't do something. But they've got to find the right issue on which to turn. And it's no more than a straw in the wind at this moment, but it could just be that that issue is Ukraine. 
Italians are having to make sacrifices, limited ones, but sacrifices in order to support Giorgio Maloney's policy of steadfast support for Ukrainian cause. Italians have a history of sympathy for pacifism, and there's quite a lot of questioning of whether she should be supplying arms to Ukraine. And recently, um, Silvio Berlusconi has come out uh, with a very negative judgment on President Zelensky, um, a favor, it would seem, to his old friend Vladimir Putin. If he were to play that card in order to enhance support for his party, then I think you would see very serious tensions start to emerge within the coalition. Fascinating. John, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Whether you're budgeting in euros or pounds, we don't mind, but we're always delighted if you want to support us to keep making podcasts at the bunker. Just search Patreon Bunker Podcast to find out how. I'm Ros Taylor. Thanks for listening. The Bunker Daily was presented by Ros Taylor. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis, with additional production from Jack Gerbertson, Katja Tomashevich, and me, Alex Reese. Our marketing manager was Gina Richard. Music by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.